The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We're glad you're with us today. I am Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice. And I'm Reverend Dan Beckett. And together we discuss ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support spiritual growth in your recovery journey. And so as today's show is meant to be an interactive discussion, if you're listening live, you can call in with your comments and questions. The number is 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. And Facebook users, you can also connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, to share your thoughts and comments. So, have you ever encountered a group, or a club maybe, where other people decided whether it was okay for you to join, whether to be a part of it or not? Well, we find that in addiction recovery, that's just the opposite. Nobody gets to tell us whether we belong or not. Only we can. We move from feeling like an outsider in life, to being a valued community member, to being one of the bunch. And as we walk our recovery path, we see that this has important implications for our journey. And we'll begin by sharing our own experiences of feeling like an outsider and then move into the solution of love and acceptance. After the break, we'll share exactly how love and acceptance helped us move from feeling like outsiders to feeling like family with our recovery groups and with the world in general. So, Lonnie, do you recall feeling like an outsider anytime (laughs) early in recovery, perhaps, or before that? Well, you know, I was reflecting on this and thinking about my childhood. Um, So many things have roots in childhood for me. And I cannot remember feeling like I belonged anywhere. You know, I don't remember having that feeling of community or that feeling of family. It was kind of like I was always on the outside looking in. Um, You know, and so that kind of stayed with me. It was just a normal part of my existence at that point. And, um, And as I got a little older and into school and started running into what we would call playground bullies and things like that, I, I started really feeling on the outside. So I've had lots of experiences like that. I've had similar experiences as well. And also I'm thinking back to, uh, you know, even as a, a child, uh, and, and again, I, I feel like I say this all the time, but it's so true. I didn't see it at the time. I had no idea. But uh, the, the truth is that I did feel uh, separate from others in general, 
not realizing uh, how separate I felt. And I think that that carried well into my adult years. And again, it's like that uh, we say, trying to tell the fish about water. I didn't know any other way. And so I didn't think anything of it. But when I look back, I really see it pretty strongly since, you know, since I was quite young. Uh, it goes back. You know, one of the things that I recall is with these uh, playground bullies is taunting back with the saying, sticks and stones can break my bones and words can never hurt me. But what I did not realize was that absolutely the untruth of that statement, that words are powerful. And and now I can look back and I can see that I took on some of those labels. I took on some of those descriptions and some of those uh, belief systems that that's who I was, that that was the definition of me. And so I uh, that played into my codependency. And so, you know, it was it was uh, where I allowed other people to define me. You know, even to the point I remember being in high school and conferring with my younger sister, is this okay to wear to school? You know, I, I didn't even have the confidence that I could pick out my own clothes. Yeah, I I can resonate with that experience. I also uh, feel like I was influenced a lot by those around me. And I know that one aspect of my personality is that I'm I'm kind of wired naturally somehow to be an observer and to uh, always be looking around and seeing what's going on, seeing how things work, see who's who in any dynamic or situation. And I was definitely uh, doing that and have been doing that since I was a child. And that, to me, I can see that uh, while it's a powerful skill to have, I can see how it kind of supports the idea that I'm an outsider. If I'm tending to look at what's happening around me, you know, from a distance, that almost by definition makes me uh, an outsider. And it took a while for me to learn to uh, couple that with other skills. So, you know, I can still do that. I'm still good at that and I find it helpful. But I can also then um, you know, take a breath and then join in the group without without thinking that much about it anymore. And I'm grateful for that change. One of the things that I recognized after I got into recovery was that I have this, um, I, I acquired this large element of codependency. And when I look back on that, I, I looked to others to define me. I'm not okay unless you're okay. I uh, believe I need to do that uh, whatever it is that makes you happy in order for me to be happy. If you're unhappy, I cannot be unhappy. And so I kind of grew up with this sense of being defined by others, um, just by being in the presence of others, being tuned into what's going on, uh, what is the, everybody's emotional status, what do I need to do to make it work, to, to get along, to be, um, not even to be helpful. My motive was survival at that point. But I realized that I lost myself. In the process, I never learned who am I. I remember being told what my favorite colors were, you know, and I don't know that I actually knew that I, that was my favorite color. And I've had to examine that <laughs> lately. But I mean, it's things like that that point that out to me. Yeah, I think that as we walk our recovery path, you know, the light goes on, as we say. I know that that's been true for me, and that I'm able to see a lot more now, um, certainly than I was earlier. Um, I also know, looking back, and this again, this is something that's still true. It's related to being an observer. Is that I'm, I'm at my most comfortable. I'm truly comfortable when I feel like 
going to have to stress that feel like. It doesn't have to actually be true. But when I feel like, I know what's going on. You know, I know how something works. I can feel okay. I can feel safe in the world if I feel like I know uh, how something works. What is the dynamic? You know, how do we get from A to B? What is happening here? And again, you know, who who is who in this um, in this social dynamic? You know, who has more clout? Who has less? Uh, who's smarter? Who's not? Who's more powerful? Who's less? Uh, whatever. If I feel like I know what's going on, then I feel okay. And 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 again, it, it's there's nothing wrong with being able to uh, understand what's going on. But my life is so much better when I can do that and uh, participate. You know, and be a part of. For me, understanding what's going on meant I had to be in control. You know, I, I re- recognize that that was also a piece of the dynamic, that if I was the boss, if I was the leader, if I was the captain, then I could call the shots. And that reduced the anxiety that really uh, was underlying this whole um, period of my of my time prior to finding alcohol and pills, you know, that, which of course, that's what began to ease the pain. But I remember having these existential questions like, why am I here? Who am I? What am I, what am I supposed to be doing? Um, All the way through college, having this angst about just not even knowing myself. I I feel the same way. You know, that phrase you just used there, not even knowing myself. I I feel strongly uh, connected with that. I feel that same experience in life i have learned along the way that uh, a primary reason that i that was so important to me to sort of check things out first and never just jump into something uh, important to work to understand uh, what's going on and how things work is that that was how i could uh, protect my inner resources i felt like um, i had a limited amount of energy Maybe, you know, being an introvert is part of that. I think that we do. We introverts do have a limited amount of energy as far as interacting with others. That's not a problem when we know that and when we have other skills that are developed to to balance it. But I learned to um, always hold back just in case. You know, I'm not sure... I'm not sure how long I'm going to be away from home. And so, you know, I better make sure I bring something to eat or, um, you know, I don't know who these people are, so I'm not going to say anything, you know, so that I'll be okay. That, that was a major driver for me. You know, it's been said that the disease of alcoholism and probably addiction in general is a disease of loneliness, that it is one, uh, if we're not lonely and isolated and feeling apart from when we enter that stage, that it doesn't take long to to develop that, you know, in in many ways because of our behavior. You know, um, I know for myself that I tended to be uh, secretive. I tended to be, uh, to play let's pretend I'm okay when I'm not okay. I I learned to um, hide my motives about whatever. It was, you know, my motives were to manipulate and control so that I could feel comfortable in the world. And, but that's not okay (laughs) <laughs> to, to broadcast that, you know, so I, I learned all kinds of things in an effort to continue this addiction, which helped me feel at ease in the world. But it's it's kind of ironic that it made me more isolated. I'm not like you. You know, I can't go to dinner there. I have to I, they don't serve alcohol there. I'm not going to be able to have a drink at dinner, you know, that kind of thing. So it, it ultimately set myself apart. Yeah, it's definitely kind of a double edged sword. It feels like. 
um, the ultimate solution to uh, you know whatever is ca- whatever was causing me uh, anxiety or or uh, you know dis-ease in the world. Um, and uh, ironically, it turns out to be the biggest source of disease and discomfort. Uh, it's it's strange how it how it works that way. I I learned um, along the way somehow that I'm really good at uh, kind of scoping out dangers and differences, and uh, and looking at a situation and and being able to see what could go wrong here. And that's just another you know response to that need for safety. You know, the last thing that I would do uh, is jump into, especially a social situation, just sort of jump into it without knowing anything about anyone. That's the last thing I wanted to do. I learned along the way, and, and, and I've gotten a lot better about this. You know, in the past, if you'd asked me, do you want to, you know, go do it? I would just say no, even if I didn't quite know exactly what you're talking about, because no was my safe default answer. Uh, it turned into maybe, you know, what do you mean? How are we getting there? How are we getting home? You know, but no, do I want to go to the, no, I don't want to go to the, whatever it is you were about to say. Uh, But if you give me a little time, maybe I'll warm up to the idea. You know, that that's a hallmark of, of the addiction process is the self-centeredness. What about me? What do I want? What do I need? And, um, that I exhibited that as well, that same kind of thinking, but, so we know that this is a challenge, this feeling like an outsider. So what's the solution? Well, in unity, we affirm that we're all connected and that everybody is on their individual path back to God. We love and support others on their way, just as we know that we are loved and supported on our way. This is, in essence, really an expression of the spiritual concept of oneness, which tells us that we're all in this together. And when we care for one another and allow each person to be just who they are, we all heal together. And so what we're talking about today then really is love and acceptance. And so that's what we want to focus on. So what do we mean by love and acceptance and what does that look like exactly? Uh, When I think of love, what always comes to mind is the fact that it's one of unity's 12 powers. And And the aspect of love that I always think of first is, is that it's a harmonizing power, you know, kind of a, a unifying, it brings things and people together. Um, it, uh, smooths over differences. It acts as a connector. Um, and so when we talk about love and acceptance, um, I think of them both as kind of, they're, they're like building bridges, you know, building bridges from me feeling isolated to, uh, everyone else in the world. And uh, one way that I see that is by uh, recognizing that, that we, we can harmonize what's going on and that love does uni- unify us. You know, I remember hearing the song, uh, John Lennon's song, you know, love is all you need. And I just couldn't get there, you know, from, from where I was. And, but, you know, unity's def- definition, um, this 12 power, this love that is a power that we all have helped me understand to change it for, to a verb, you know, from a, from a noun to a verb. And I also understand that it is, um, you know, does have an affectional nature to it. And as I started hanging around the program and realized that people did really care for one another, that I could see that in action there as well. And of course, feeling the outsider, I hoped to, to be cared for and to learn to care for others as well. 
I always loved the wording of the third tradition in our uh, in our recovery groups, and it reads: the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking or whatever your particular program is. The only requirement for membership is a desire to be different in life. It doesn't say anything about you have to be good at this or or you have to know this person or you have to know anything. You You can just be accepted as soon as you decide or realize that you're accepted. And I love the openness of that statement. And when I think of acceptance, you know, that uh, third tradition, uh, to me, really ha- has a lot of acceptance built into it. There are no criteria, as you said in, in the opening of the show. Other people don't get to decide if we belong or not. We decide if we belong or not. And once we decide that we do, we're right, and we do belong, and we are accepted, because every person there went through the same process. Every person there decided that they belonged and that they were a part of what we're doing here. So it it ends up being this group of people who have all chosen to be part of it, who all realize, um, you know, I'm here because I want to be here, and so is everybody else. And how wonderful is that? And wouldn't it be wonderful if every group on the planet had that kind of of a cohesiveness to it you know um you mentioned the word acceptance and for me i that was another word that baffled me it's kind of like willingness you know there was a lot of things i was not willing to do except maybe 51 percent you know i was resistant to it i gritted my teeth i held my breath and i did it anyway kind of like jumping off the high dive but um you know 51% got me started on the path, but that wasn't really willing. I was begrudgingly willing. And acceptance was kind of the same type of path for me. You know, how do you get to acceptance when when everything grates on your nerves, when everything, you know, coming in new into the program, raw nerves, irritated by everybody and everything, not understanding the language um, of the program, which was very much like when I was first introduced to metaphysics and some unity concepts, like, I don't get this, you know, how do I get to acceptance from that? And I, I learned that it was through tolerance to start with, you know, which is one of the code phrases in recovery literature, love and tolerance is our code, you know, and tolerance for me meant I didn't have to like it. I didn't have to approve of it, but I could be with it. Yes, tolerance uh, seems to me to be an important stepping stone in a way or step on the, along the way uh, to acceptance. Because just like you said, tolerance um, simply means that uh, I may think that you're wrong, but I'm not going to make an issue out of it. I'm just going to kind of quietly accept my knowing that you're wrong. Um, And if I do that enough, then that will help me to remain part of the group. Because if I wasn't willing to be tolerant, then I would not remain part of the group. And, you know, I I abandon all opportunity uh, for healing. But if I'm willing to be tolerant, then at least I can stay in the room. And it's that staying in the room um, that turns into healing over time and turns into acceptance, I think. I remember having some trouble with the concept of acceptance because it sounded like it might mean approval. And uh, I did not approve of what other people, not, you know, what's not what all other people were doing in the world or whatever my personal situation was. But I learned that acceptance is not approval. It just means I acknowledge that, yes, that is how it is. 
And it's as simple as that. It doesn't mean I like it or that I would choose for it to be that way if I have a choice. Uh, it just means that I see it for what it is and let it and let it be so. For me, acceptance means it's lost its emotional charge. You know, tolerance still has an emotional charge of, of resistance around it. Well, I don't like this, but I guess I'll put up with it. You know, that kind of an attitude. And for me, acceptance, when I am truly in acceptance, I find that I can just let it be. I can just let it go. It just is what it is. And I don't have to even engage in much mental gyrations about it, whatever it is, um, you know, to get there. And and when it talks, you know, in the recovery literature, it there's a passage that talks a lot about acceptance. Acceptance is the answer to all my problems, you know, and I, and I feel like acceptance is just getting the neutral ground, you know, to give me a place to start from. If I can get to acceptance, it's like I finally crawled out of the hole. Now I got a place to start. I, I like that description. I, uh, and I do feel that also it is like a neutral ground. I'm no longer putting energy into it. Like you said, it doesn't have a, a charge to it, which means, um, that it's not running my life, right? If something has a charge to it, that means I have an agenda for this. I have a way I need it to be. And um, I know now that uh, if that's true, um, I really don't have a very good chance of having a different experience because I'm so attached to this one. Even if my attachment is, I don't like this, I don't want to be here, this isn't right, that's still keeping me engaged with it. But if I can accept it and and get into kind of a, a neutral place with it, then then things can change. And I and I had to learn to do that to, for myself. And that's an ongoing process. I mean, I've been I've been on this path for a few 24 hours, as we say. Um, but I just quit smoking cigarettes in the last year, and it was extremely challenging. And the turning point for me was when I was able to. I remembered to practice, you know, take a deep breath, and I was able to accept uh, my smoking habit, my smoking addiction exactly the way it was and stop resisting it. Stop saying, oh, man, I should really quit doing this. Oh, this is not good for me. Oh, I'm going to die young. You know, and whatever sort of charged energy, like you were saying, I was putting into it. Once I was able to accept it and just think, yeah, this is this is what it is. I smoked today because I smoked yesterday. That's been true for many, many years. You know, all right. So that's what's going on. Once I got there, then I could actually do something about it. And I did. It, it made quitting. Uh, quitting was not difficult this last time when it actually worked. And I believe it's because I was able to accept myself and accept my smoking addiction for exactly what it was. I think that's a big piece of, of the journey for me is um, self-acceptance. And, you know, that's a really fuzzy term when I think about it. But coming in, you know, I did not want to be defined as alcoholic or addict. I, I That seemed to be a label that was derogatory and that had all these connotations to it. I did not approve of that. So why do I want to be that? Why do I want to label myself as that? And, you know, I, I along this journey, recognize that I have labeled myself in lots of different ways. You know, I described earlier about being, uh, taking on other people's opinions and, and uh, making that a definition of who I am, but I also did not approve of the way that I drank, the way that I uh, worked, the way that I did this, the way that I had friendships, the way I did relationships. You know, I mean, there was not very much that I approved of about myself. And I had to come to a point of acceptance with each of those pieces 
And that happened for me through working the program, through working a discovery process called an inventory, you know, in, or, in order to say, what are my patterns? And then to find the root of those patterns in order to get to a place where I could love and accept myself. Yeah, I, I find it challenging. I mean, and clearly uh, it's, a, it's an ongoing thing for me. Uh, I feel grateful that I've been able to, to do it to the extent that I have. And I do see the power the power in it. And I, I intend to stay in the room quote, uh, so to speak, and to practice, uh, acceptance as a general rule, you know, of, of the way that I choose to live my life so that, so that I can, um, have options really, you know, addiction has been defined as the lack of choice and, uh, recovery therefore means, uh, having choice. And now I do have choices about things that I didn't used to have choices about before. And that, uh, comes through acceptance. You know, we, we, uh, surrender, we might say, you know, we kind of give it up. We, we accept, uh, what's going on or even grudgingly, like you were talking about earlier, I've, I've heard people say, I didn't surrender. My position was overrun. You know, I, it was against my will. I got taken by the enemy. Um, and, but one way or the other, you know, we, we do accept our situation and that's when we can change it. One, one way that I've seen that expand, uh, in my life is, uh, that I, I can much more readily now allow the world to be what it is without getting all involved and getting all charged up about it, getting upset about this or about that. Now I see lots of things in the world that I don't really approve of. That's for sure. Things that I would like to see different things that I know are, are not, they're not right, but I have a choice. And am I going to identify myself with that stuff so strongly that now my internal experience is all, you know, uh, negative and angry or, or whatever, or can I see it and let it be what it is, you know, given the opportunity? Yes, I would, uh, make a change, but just let it be what it is so that it doesn't have that um, control over me. I've, I've found that I'm much better at doing that through what I've learned on this recovery journey. And so I think what part of what I'm hearing is that um, you've, you've been able to detach from those external events so that you don't have the internal response. And that kind of mirrors my um, experience of not allowing my feelings to determine my experience in the world. You know, I am not defined by my feelings. I can be sad without having to to make that who I am in the world or depressed or happy or whatever. You know, it is a, a feeling that passes through. I'm not defined by outer circumstances. You know, um, I allowed myself to be that for a long time. Well, hold that thought because it's time for a short break. And when we come back, we'd love to hear from you. As we continue the conversation, the phone number to dial is 816-251-3555. Please stay with us. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. 
If you've been inspired by the programming on Unity Online Radio, we hope you will give your support so others may be inspired too. This online radio network depends on the support of listeners like you to continue operating and expand its outreach. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate today. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Catherine Ponder, taken from a classic talk called The Prosperous Truth, recorded at Unity of Austin in 1991. God is extravagant supply. Get that, extravagant. God is extravagant supply. He brings forth the best robe. He spreads a banquet table, as we saw last night, with good things on which we may feast. He overflows our cup. He opens the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing. And then this is what that Unity Correspondence Course said. Why are you satisfied with such meager living when you may have so much? To find out more about Unity teachings, visit unity.org. If you've been on a spiritual path for a long time, what can you read that's new and exciting? Try Unity Magazine. It's designed for the seasoned spiritual student with in-depth articles and interviews about spiritual practices and philosophies. Our columnists share their own faith journeys and cover healing, science, and psychology with even a little scripture thrown in. You'll read some classic authors and some new ones. Get a free trial issue at unitymagazine.org. Sometimes you might feel so alone with your problems, you don't know where to turn. We invite you to call Silent Unity, the 24-7 prayer ministry, where someone is waiting to pray with you every day at any hour. Listen and relax as you hear their beautiful words affirm the highest and best outcome for you and those you love. No matter what's going on in your life, Silent Unity is always standing by. Call today, 816-969-2000. Create a path to success and prosperity with May McCarthy and Abundance Incorporated every Thursday at 2 p.m. Central on UnityOnlineRadio.org. A co-founder of seven successful companies, an angel investor, best-selling author, and international speaker, May will help you each week with spiritual and practical tools you can use to create a life that you love with greater health, happiness, wealth, and freedom. Join the show live with your questions or listen later on demand right here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm here with Reverend Dan Beckett. We will resume our discussion in a moment, but first we want to let you know that the phone lines are open. So if you have a question or a comment to share, please give us a call at 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. In addition, you can message us right now from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. 
with your questions or comments, just click the send message button under the banner. We'd love to hear from you right now. And today I have a special shout out to Helen in Grand Rapids and to Pamela in Las Vegas. Pamela, thank you for your kind words yesterday. And we're so glad that both of you are with us. So just prior to the break, we were discussing this challenge of feeling isolated and alone in the world like an outsider. And we know that the answer to this is love and acceptance. So when we feel like that, Dan, we know the solution is love and acceptance. How can we use love and acceptance to become a true member of our community? One way that that I was able to do it, that worked for me, that has become an ongoing practice. And and I heard this a lot in the in my recovery uh, groups, you know, from the beginning, to look for the similarities, not the differences. And I found that when I was willing to do that, to always look at others and look for points of connection, look for things that we might have in common, even if it seemed like the other person was you know, completely different than me, even if my, my initial response might have been, man, I, I don't have anything in common with that person, just to go ahead and look for the similarities. And I feel like in that way, I was actively practicing acceptance although it wasn't presented to me like that, I see that now, that by uh, being willing to look and by looking for similarities, um, I was I was practicing acceptance, and I still do that. I, too, had that kind of a mind that would look for the differences. Oh, that isn't going to work. That's not going to work. I'm not like that. You know, that was kind of my internal chatter. And so that was a very useful tool for me. And the next thing that worked for me was when I was told to look for something that you want instead of what well that's not going to work look for well maybe that'll work you know um you know they talk about when you look for a sponsor you look for a mentor you look for a guru you're looking for what do they have that you want you know and i wanted peace and joy and sobriety and um happiness and and so i had to start looking for specific if you will looking for the good instead of looking for what would go wrong. And that started moving me in the direction of this love and acceptance because I was now beginning to be open-minded about what other people brought to the table. Yes, Uh, another way uh, I'm remembering that I was able to practice that, and I'm thinking again early on, and this is another saying that we have in the program, keep coming back. I've heard that so many times, I've said it uh, myself to others, keep coming back. And, And by doing that, by coming back uh, each time, I, I was able to accept that or practice accepting that, you know, this is really a good place for me to be. I, I do belong here. This is, I always feel better uh, when I come here. I like seeing uh, my friends and acquaintances here. Uh, I accept that this is a place where I belong. And of course, that's helping me the whole time accept the reality of, of my addiction. You know, and I was able to do that uh, fairly early on too, which I'm grateful for, um, because once I was willing to accept it, as we're saying, now I have the opportunity to do something different, to live differently in some way. So by simply keeping coming back, I was able to practice acceptance of a lot of things and and stay in a place that was going to continue to support me on my recovery journey. I remember the very first time I walked into a particular hall, I was about six months clean and sober, and 
three women walked up to me, introduced themselves, invited me to sit down, and somebody got got me a cup of coffee. That was the most welcomed I had probably ever felt and felt connected with them because of their openness and willingness to connect with me. And And some months later, I remember what I would call today whining to my to my uh, sponsor about how I don't feel included. You know, there's a camp, there's a camp out and I don't feel included. You know, I've seen it posted on the board and people are talking about it and they're in their small groups and nobody ever says, Hey, do you want to go? And she brought up this, this uh, concept that I'm a member when I decide to be, and that I would be a part of if I signed up for a committee if I signed up for some service work, if I got up and poured coffee, if I asked people about whatever their plans were and is there room for one more, because I was used to, in my victim consciousness, hanging to the side and to the back and going, well, nobody likes me, you know, and that kind of thing. And that was a really powerful thing for me to understand that I can make a decision, I can decide any moment I want to be a part of and then take action to do so. I think that's a really powerful principle, and 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 it is the the essence of our third tradition. Like we were talking about before, that that we belong once we decide that we belong. Just like your sponsor advised you, and and that's true in small things, and in medium things, and in big things. And um, I find that I can apply that just about anywhere in my life. Um, like if I want to do some different kind of work in the world. You know, if I want a career change of some kind, I could look at it and say, oh, you know, I, that's not what I've done. And other people, they got started earlier than me and blah. Or I can say, you know, I can be that if I want to be that. I can accept and decide that I'm a member of that group, too, and then act like I'm a member of that group along the way. You know, you asked, uh, how how can we use love and acceptance to move from feeling like an outsider to move uh, into feeling like a family member, like one of the bunch. One answer that I have to that question is slowly. That's how I can do it slowly over time, you know, by showing up at the next meeting, by being willing to do the next thing, to answer the phone or to make a phone call um, to a group member, to engage with uh, my sponsor and the, and the steps and the recovery process one day at a time. I mean, that's a central saying that we have one day at a time and slowly over time is how I use love and acceptance to uh, become one of the bunch instead of just being an outsider. Along with that for me is practice. You know, I don't know how to be accepting when I walked in the rooms. I didn't know how to be tolerant and I didn't know how to love, you know, to practice um, this power of love or this even the affectional quality of love. I know what I thought it was but the first part for me was I embarked on this journey of learning what it, unlearning. You know, I had to do a lot of unlearning what it was not before I could get to a point of of using these tools in order to um, in order to further my my recovery, in order to further this uh, ex, this understanding that I too am one of many here. I am no better than. I am no worse than. And, and that I fit in the world, not just in this little group of people over here to the one side, but in the, in the larger world. Some of the ways that helped me was to understand that this community 
any community functions by spiritual principles and to learn what those spiritual principles were. And one of the first ones I, I learned was, um, it sounds real mundane, it was honesty, but what it meant was, do my words and actions match? Makes, makes love and tolerance a whole lot easier if I'm predictable. Do my words and actions match? Do I do what I say I'm going to do? Do I make promises that I'm going to be there to pour the coffee and then I don't show up? You know, oh, something came up. Or do I do I volunteer to chair a meeting and then I, they can count on me? You know, there, I had a lot of unlearning to do before I could learn, for me, what love and acceptance amounts to is commitment. You know, commitment to the principles, commitment to this group of people or that community. I think those acts of service that you mentioned, you know, making the coffee or chairing a meeting, uh, in addition to just, you know, showing up and being part of a group, that those acts of service are a way that we can use the principle of love to go from being outsiders to being family members. Um, a group that was my home group for many years uh, took a meeting into the local hospital's detox facility on Friday evenings. And I volunteered to be one of the people that took that meeting up there, even though I was nervous and, um, you know, still, still working on uh, becoming someone who was willing to participate. And I was going into an unfamiliar environment, didn't know what to expect. But I would take the meeting with another uh, program member up to the detox facility. And that I found so very helpful. Uh, in so many ways, and some I, I assume I don't really understand all the ways that that was so helpful to me. But I know that it was an act of service. It was uh, responding out of love. This is what you do when you love and care for other people, when you are working to create a community and to create harmony among people, is you do things that facilitate being connected, like sharing a meeting, making the coffee, or, or taking a meeting into the detox facility. That simple uh, act uh, turned out to be so much more than that for me, and I've, I've learned so much from it. Sponsorship has been like that for me. I um, was encouraged to sponsor people early because, you know, what you do often you do well, and I wasn't wasn't uh, I had been through the steps, but I wasn't really well practiced in applying them to my own life. But I could sure pick out in your life where you needed to practice them. And so I was encouraged to begin assisting others, not by telling them what to do, but by taking them through the steps, which would then make me go back through the steps as well. And in this journey of sponsorship, you know, um, you don't go pick the one you think is going to make it. And you don't go pick the one you think is going to follow directions. And you don't go pick, you know, the, the one that's the most articulate in the room. And so over the years, I have sponsored dozens and dozens of different people. And in all of those, occasionally there are people that we just don't click. You know, there's just not a personality match or something. In, in blunt terms, maybe we didn't even like each other. But we're thrown together. We've, we've got this uh, social contract, if you will, to be there for one another, to help one another, to support one another, um, to assist when called upon, to learn from one another. And, and all of those things were valuable for me because over time, I started by practicing tolerance. You know, I've got this contract. Yeah, I'll do it. You know, and then I, I practice tolerance. Oh, man, they're on the phone again. Okay, what do they want now? You know, and then I get to acceptance with, okay, well, we've talked about this before. You know, <laughs> how, how have you applied this? To finally to love, where I have this affection for this person, and I have watched them grow, and that would have been an outcome I would never have guessed. You know, and I truly 
wish the very best for them and support them in my love, you know, and prayers. And and so it's just really amazing how, for me, acts of service can lead in that direction. And it seems that all that um, came up for you and you had the opportunity to have those experiences because you were willing to show up and do what seemed right, or at least what other people were telling you seemed right until you found out for on your own why it was the right thing to do. Um, I, I did a practice, and this might sound a little bit backwards. I practiced being accepted by others. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it made a lot of sense to me. It sounds weird, but it's it's possible for me to decide that they think I don't fit in, right? And so to counter that uh, little thought, that error thought, if you will, um, I practice uh, being accepted by others. You know, I can act as if they think I belong. And then I find out, well, they actually do think that I belong. And all of that was just my own, you know, mental fabrications based on what, you know, on my old fears of, of not uh, being a part of or, or feeling different or, you know, f- this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy that says, well, you know, I, I don't really do well in, in groups with others. And so what happens? I make that exactly what my experience is. I think that that it's uh, I'm just seeing what the truth is. What I what I don't recognize uh, early on is that I'm kind of making it that way and I can unmake it that way. And one way that I did that was by that kind of backward seeming practicing being accepted, not just practicing accepting others. Of course, I did that, too. But practice being accepted. Let them accept me. That was weird. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of us have a struggle with that. Um, how many times have we been given a compliment and we go, yeah, but, and then we negate it. You know, we, we don't accept the overtures of friendship and affection and support that others offer us because there's something in us that is resistant to that. And it's, as you mentioned, this error thinking, the stinking thinking, these old ideas that we hold on to. You know, one of those that I had was that I needed your permission in order to live my life, you know, and 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 what that would look like is is I would check it out if I'd had this idea that, oh, maybe I want to go back to school. So I'd check it out with five or six people, and some people would say, oh, you're crazy. At your age, you want to go back to school? And, you know, and other people would say, well, I don't know. Why do you want to do that? Why don't you do this instead, you know? And it would it would turn up all of this confusion in my mind. I was giving my power away. I was seeking approval for my choices, and I, you know, unconsciously, um, and and. And I was seeking this permission for me to do whatever I wanted to do anyway. And, and sometimes after I got in recovery, I would seek approval and then I'd go do what I want to anyway. And then I'd come back and I'd go, now, what was it you said? <laughs> because I wasn't following good advice. But that that ability to, to discern uh, developed over time and with practice. You know, I think I think part of that answer is practice for me. I think practice is a key word to all all of that we talk about, not just today, but uh, everything that we talk about related to recovery and spiritual growth. Uh, this morning, I was sharing some uh, simple meditation practice techniques uh, with some young people and sort of teaching them uh, about mindfulness meditation. What does that mean? What are the benefits? How do you do it? All that kind of stuff. And I stressed how uh, what's really important with that is to do it each day. You know, it, it doesn't matter so much. You don't need to do it for an hour. It would be better to do it three minutes every day than it would be to just do it once for an hour. And so that repetition, that practice, that being willing to show up and be a part of for whatever is going to happen, whatever it might be. 
another way that I used love and acceptance to become uh, part of the group was to, and you talked about this a minute ago, to look for people that had peace and stability, you know, who had some elements of what I would like more of in my life. And, and for me, uh, that's often peace and stability and to learn from them, you know, just to pay extra attention to, you know, what are they sharing and, and, and where are they coming from and how are they saying that they got uh, to where they are? Because I admire the level of peace that I'm detecting uh, from them and I want to be like that. So I would kind of act like, uh, act like it and watch them and see what they were doing and then try and pattern my own recovery after what I saw them doing. Yes, that echoes the phrase I heard often, which is, if you want what we have, you'll do what we've done. And that was all fine and good, but I wanted it now. You know, I, I had this same uh, instant gratification desire that so many people had. And, you know, knowing that I couldn't grow any faster than I could grow was really frustrating for me. I could see it in the other people. I could hear what they said. I could... Sometimes I could even talk the talk, but it took a long time and a lot of practice to get into alignment where I could also walk the walk. And then, you know, to get my my feelings and my motives in alignment with that, and then to get my belief systems supporting the whole thing was, was quite a process. And so for me, a little bit every day, you know, the five-minute plan, if you will, what do I have to do today right now to move forward on this? You know, you talked up there about... Um wanting it to happen faster and what i one thing i'm hearing in that is that you want it period you know it's it's okay if you wish that it would happen faster what i think is important underneath that and one one success factor if you will that i'm seeing in your recovery path is you do want it and and i've heard many times it's said that our these recovery programs are for people who want them, not for people who need them. You know, I know people who I, in my personal opinion, uh, could really use uh, a 12-step recovery program, but that's not um, how this works. It's, it, the, the programs are there for those of us uh, who show up because we want it. And that's what I was hearing you share. You really, really wanted it. You wanted it right now. Hey, I, I call that, that's good. I mean, you can learn the patience. It's not going to happen any faster than it happens. But the fact that you want it means you keep showing up. And that is where the growth and recovery come from. So I think it's great. And so another thing that I learned along this is this path is that what other people think of me is none of my business. You know, because even with all the practice, even with the desire to do it the right way and that kind of thing, I would find that I would make mistakes. And which, of course, is why the program is cyclical with, you know, 10, 11 and 12 continue to take personal inventory. Well, I made a mistake today and I showed where I hadn't grown as much. And that brought into play love and acceptance. Don't beat myself up for that. Learn how I can do this better tomorrow. Um, accept that I am still merely human and that I must um, continue to walk this path to do better, but not to allow the, the childhood um, invoked emotions of shame and guilt and fear come up just because I made that one mistake. What I believe, and you referenced this earlier, what I believe other people are thinking about me is none of my business. Stop the projection. That was a tool that I had to use. 
I remember the first time I heard that phrase, and it 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 was life changing for me. Just that concept. And there's a book that's named that. The, a book called "What You Think of Me Is None of My Business," and it's by Terry Cole Whitaker. So if you're listening and you like that idea, uh, I read that book and I loved it, and it really was life changing for me. Uh, and one reason it was is because uh, as you're sharing it, it, it it takes my attention off of things that I have no control over that are irrelevant to my situation. Um, they're irrelevant to my uh, path forward. If I want to grow and recover, you know, what someone else thinks about me really has nothing to do with it. And if I'm putting focus and energy into that, then, you know, I'm just kind of getting bogged down and bogging myself down. Um, in it all. Well, another way that I found uh, using love and acceptance to become one of the bunch is by uh, doing simple things like going out with people for coffee after the meeting. You know, I never, ever would have done that, I think, earlier in my life. And in fact, early on in recovery, I'm not sure that I was that keen on the idea. You know, I, I can accept uh, going to the meetings and and becoming you know, seeing how this is a good place for me to be. And I really, maybe I really am uh, part of the group here, but then to, to go do more of it when you didn't even have to, you know, why would I go hang out after the meeting? It's enough for me to be at the meeting. But over time um, I learned and, and those people, like I talked about, the people who have peace and stability would stand outside after the meeting and talk and someone say, hey, you want to go get a bite to eat? And then maybe three or four of us would go get a bite to eat. And that became uh, a group and a pattern and uh, a wonderful support in recovery. So even something simple like, you know, showing up early or going out after the meeting, or like you mentioned before, you know, my making coffee, acts of service, acts of community, all those things helped me to move uh, from feeling like an outsider to really becoming a community member. And those are by, by loving and accepting others and allowing them to love and accept me. For me, I had the same experience, and part of it was accepting help. When somebody offered me a ride, I did. Ha I had no idea that riding with somebody to a meeting, home from a meeting, and being with them that entire time was going to be such a benefit for me and make me feel so much a part of and so much included. Yeah, another principle that we've touched on is to act as if, to quote, fake it till you make it. And and I still, put, when I hear that, there's part of me that feels like it has a negative connotation because fake it um, sounds like I'm being dishonest and I don't want to be dishonest. I don't want to pretend I'm something that I'm not. But what I've, how I've come to look at it, and I think it's genuinely and truly helpful, is I, I'm going to practice it. You know, I'm not going, you know, when I say fake it, what I mean is I'm going to practice being a person who is adept at this or at that. I'm going to practice being a sober person. And then as I practice it, even though maybe I think I'm not quite, as I practice it, it becomes a reality in my life. That's how I was able to make peace with the fake it till you make it, the act as if. And it, and it is quite powerful. So uh, let's now move into action. You know, unity's fifth principle states that it's not enough to know these truths, we must live them. That means we must each take action in order to grow and recover. So here's something you can do this week to move from feeling like an outsider to being one of the bunch, using love and acceptance. So perhaps you feel alone and isolated in the world, or maybe there's a group that you'd like to become a part of. 
Or perhaps you've been hanging out on the fringes and you want to commit to a deeper involvement in your community. What's important is just to pick one thing, preferably a simple thing, and to take it into a quiet time of prayer and meditation, to simply relax and take it easy, to know that there is no need to struggle. So let's use as an example, uh, becoming more connected to our recovery group. So use a statement of power or what we refer to in unity as a denial to deny any power to that feeling of being separate. You could say something like, Feeling separate from others is not the truth of who I am. Repeat that a few times in your head or even say it aloud, but say it with conviction. Feeling separate from others is not the truth of who I am. And follow that up immediately with a bold and positive affirmation of a new experience. So you could say, I am a radiating expression of God's love. I am loved and accepted just as I am. Then take a few quiet moments to relax and take it easy. No struggling. Just give thanks for your new experience in the world and move on with your day. Again, feeling separate from others is not the truth of who I am. I'm a radiating expression of God's love. I'm loved and accepted just as I am. So we've come to the end of our time together here today, and we hope that you found something, maybe a tool or an idea, to help you on your recovery path. And we both bless you on your journey. Thank you to the listeners and to anybody that's messaged us. Thank you so much, Reverend Dan Beckett, for the insights you've shared in our discussion today. And again, if you would like to connect with us, you can do so on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and give us your thoughts and feedback. And we invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. And until then, have a wonder-filled week. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark, on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.